because it's Friday, I'm going to call this uh, meeting of the Public Safety Committee, January 12th, to order two minutes early at 3.58. Um, roll call. Assemblymember Orion Hansen. Present. Assemblymember Dan Henry is absent, but might, may or may not be joining, and Deb Potter Chair is here. Um, approval of the agenda. I move for approval of the agenda. On that topic, I would like to remove item 7A. I spoke with uh, Brad today and the staff is working on getting some uh, answers to questions directly related to this topic. So I would ask that we remove that. I would That's second it. removing 7A. Okay. Aye. Aye. <laughs> uh, okay. Communications. We will start with uh, reports. I'm gonna, we haven't had a public safety meeting in a while, obviously. Uh, so my intention is to just kind of schedule regular ones every four to five weeks. It's always easy to cancel a meeting if there's nothing to talk about or no one's going to complain if it's a 15-minute meeting. But just the idea of having regular check-ins seems like a good idea. Um, so with that, uh, Chief Reddick, would you like to come on up and give a police department report, uh, including updates on the dispatch situation? As far as the dispatch situation, we have not had any more outages since the uh, battery backup has been replaced. That was December 13th. Um, I spoke with Manager Ryan. He's got a company coming up in June called Connect GeoConnects. And they are coming to Haines, so they're going to come over and they're going to look at our system as well. Kind of give us a second opinion on the quote that I got from Articom for the uh, replacement and upgrade of everything that we have in dispatch currently. For the year, I think our stats were 8,400 some calls. That's up approximately 2,000 calls from last year. So things have been busier this year for sure. Um. On that, um, June to me seems pretty far away. Um, so you currently have the the quote from Articom. That is correct. Uh, and what is the name of this other company that's coming up? It'll be GeoConnects. GeoConnects. Okay. They and both they sell the same product, which is Zetron. And that's the quote that I got for replacement of the current uh, Motorola Solutions uh, ECW. And Motorola has uh, our radio uh, software as well. So it will replace all of that and would give us two consoles and a whole new, I say console, but it's the furniture that would house it where we could potentially have two dispatchers at the same time. Or we would have some redundancy of computers fail over here, they can move over here and we'd still have a dispatch. And so just to be clear, this the um, 
this second company coming in uh, just be to get, like you said, a second opinion, but it sounds like it would be a second opinion to basically go ahead and purchase that. The same. The same equipment. Detron. That's correct. Okay. The purchase price was 547000 if we bought it outright, and then it was approximately 600000 if we do a 60-month term, so roughly 120000 a year for five years. Personally, I would rather do the lease option because we don't give them all their money at once, and they're going to keep and maintain the, the product that they sell us. Upgrades, anytime something's broke, they'll come fix it. Okay. Assembly Member Hanson, do you have any questions for the chief? Thank you, Madam Chair. Chief, do you have any indication of what increased the the, the calls by approximately 25% from last year? What caused the increase? We had a considerable amount more bear calls this year than normal uh, alarm calls. I would have to go through and just really itemize it. I can get you the the annual report that I gave her so that you'll have all the numbers uh, we had considerable more arrests this year. We've had a lot more citations than normal. So just just we've been busier. We've had more people in town. And with that comes more calls. Do, do you think it's from residents, from seasonals? I mean, the bears, obviously, that's self-explanatory. Uh, from just EMT things, type things of people falling on the boardwalk or is it those, all the above? Those maintain pretty close. I mean, mm -hmm. I did look at those numbers just to kind of see if we had more medical calls. Uh, overall, we had quite a few more alarms this year. And I think that's because Taylor Fire has been in town trying to upgrade some of their stuff. We, uh, we've we had a few more domestic violence calls, a few more mental health issues. And we've had uh, two firearms involved calls this year. And obviously, we had the uh, two overdose deaths. Yep. So there's just been a lot going on that, that kind of caused some of the numbers to go up. Well, good job. I, I don't have anything really to follow up with that other than it's just a concern if you have significantly more calls from one year to the next. And if they're across the board... That might be an indication you're just more responsive as well. You know, you're. We try to stay on top of things and, you know, it's with staffing that we have, it, it gets tough at times. Sure. Um, I guess my, my last question is uh, about hiring a new officer. I know we put that in the budget. What's the status? So that? we've advertised that since August. We've had a few people that were interested and we sent out uh, information, tried to have contacts with them. The pay was not quite where they wanted it. Then they tried to find housing before they would commit and they, they couldn't find any. So they have released themselves and backed out. And that would have been about approximately four people. We still have one that's interested that's local that we're going to reach out to and just have some conversations with and before we start the interview process. But um. I've sent a presentation to Deb that I can also send to you as from the audit, we kind of come to what we feel like we can work with. We've presented to the city manager. We've done a lot of work on it. Ken's done a lot of work on it. We're, we're kind of revising a few of those things to, to give some incentives 
we can't offer $30,000 like sign-on bonus that Juno does or the troopers. But if we have other things, that avenues, longevity pay, some different avenues of things we can do that might be more enticing to somebody to come and stay long-term. You know, we've got four of us, two of them. One is eligible for retirement now. He could walk any day, would just absolutely kill my staff because we would be one short. No pressure there. Um, we have uh, Rick Ackerman. He's within three years of retirement. You know, I've got 24 years in. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. He's got 16 plus, 22 total. So, I mean, it's it's an aging staff that that's going to be eligible for retirement. And we have to be able to fill those shoes. And that's that's what I'm concerned with is I can't fill the ones that we have vacant. When I have people start leaving, I got to fill those shoes, and that's going to be very difficult to do. Thank you. We appreciate you. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Chief. Oh, right. Uh, A2 uh, Fire Department. Travis, representing the Fire Department. Um, do you have uh, any kind of updates or anything you'd like to talk about? Uh, the um, biggest thing we've been working on in the last few months is trying to find a grant to, to possibly get us a additional apparatus or an, an aerial truck. It would be one of the uh, biggest priorities we've identified right now. And our fleet is fairly aging. It's in good condition, but they're they're kind of to the point where they're just old and fragile, especially our that first out engine, 23s, is a very uh, delicate engine is how I would describe that. And uh, they're both working. They've, they've had great maintenance over the years, and but it's it's time to definitely start looking towards the future. An aerial truck would be um, a great asset for a community to have with, with all the buildings that we have that are over two and three stories high, that they're just ground ladder operations is not something that you would um, be effective with. Or what we'd be doing if we if we had a significant fire event or or rescue type situation in the downtown area. So when you say aerial truck, you mean like a like ladder a bucket truck. lift ladder, ladder truck, truck yeah. or platform truck? It, the the industry standard really now is to go with a platform type truck because you can do so much more with it and it has heavier lift capabilities. Um, but anything would be something more than what we have now to just have an, to be able to have a master stream at an elevated uh, place, you know, to be able to, to put water down from an elevated um, direction. So, Mayor Hanson, do you have any questions? Uh, thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. With a ladder truck, currently our height restrictions for building is 35 feet. Yeah. Would that change? that uh you know necessity that we can't build taller than that if we had a ladder truck is that would that would that have any effect on the code of the height restriction so I've, I've always heard that's the reason we can't go above that because we do not have a ladder truck correct you know i i couldn't speak to that i can only speak to tacticals tactical decision making mm -hmm. based on what we have and so if our i mean we we do have 35 foot ladders and that's in a completely vertical position from end to end so it's just not realistic to think you're going to put that up against anything and then climb it and be able to get to 35 feet right um 
not to mention just the advantages of having it's not just vertical capability it's it's horizontal range and scrub range and and so maybe i have a 100 foot truck but maybe realistically you know it it gives me everything from 20 to 50 feet or 75 feet of really good access range and and then the more vertical you get the the more you uh the more limited you are in your scrub angle at that point beyond that all I can tell you is I could get water to a certain elevation or I could perform rescues of a certain thing. It wouldn't be on me to to tell you what height your building would be. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one, one different question. Uh, with commercial burns, there is a, a process for that, right? There is. And I'm, and I'm still learning Skagway's process, but I do know that um, DEC heavily regulates your – Alaska DEC heavily regulates your uh, burning permit process i was pretty sure we have a process now whether it was yeah. followed that's a different discussion but i was pretty sure there yeah. is a, a permitting process and yeah. uh, that's that's been around for a long time to my recollection mm-hmm. that's the same as mine as well okay that was brought up at our last assembly meeting and i was pretty sure there was something already in place that just wasn't adhered to yeah <clears throat> yep there is okay <laughs> Just go and fill out your commercial burn permit, and it says right in there all the things that um, are not allowed to be burned. I kind of recall the fire department coming and making sure, you know, the setbacks not underneath power lines. There was, you know, there was an oversight process to it, as I recall. There was some way of extinguishing the fire if it got out of hand, and you were doing it responsibly. You know, in my experience, not with Skagway, but that's pretty typical is that information gets passed to, you know, and they are informed at the time that they sign for the permit. And then and then they kind of are, are regulating themselves until the point that there is a complaint, you know, and there's usually complaints, especially on commercial fires, lots of smoke. Someone's usually going to complain about something. And, and then that's when you'd see that site visit. And, and then that's also when you know, they would look for things like that for height of fire height and distances and water. And and if they don't have that, then they get a, a cease and desist order issued at that time and, and then the correction and maybe a reinspection before being allowed to, to burn again. Uh, that's fairly normal for, yeah. for that kind of operation. Yeah. I guess one last question, also totally different topic, but uh, with the cold, extreme cold, um, I know we've had some issues before where it was so cold, the fire, we couldn't get the fire hydrants, some of them to work. Um, they were frozen. They were frozen. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's a magic cure for that other than, you know, you can. I don't know. Again, I don't know or something. I don't history know. History's exactly. hydrants. Um, but I do know that hydrants, you know, you, we maintain them in the, in the summertime and, you know, depending on if they're dra- self-draining hydrants you know, or if that's even functioning correctly, you know, that can be an issue if, if you float it, but then you didn't pump the water out of it. And then the bottom, maybe the bottom foot of it has a chunk of ice or a plug of ice. That can be a problem. Uh, sometimes the caps get frozen on. And so as we're out servicing hydrants, we make sure and we lubricate the caps and make sure everything's ready to go and operating. If we flow water in a, at a wintertime op, uh, one of the things we do is we actually pump the hydrant out. Once we shut it off, we stick a hose down in there and we make sure that we pump out all that water because we want to avoid that frozen plug that can form. 
you know, it's usually below the frost line, but sometimes in these cold temps, you can get it. And then it's, you're not going to get it thawed. You know, it's not, it's just not going to happen at the time of need anyways, you know, come later usually. Thank you. Yep. Good questions. Thank you. Um, all right. Thank you, Travis. Thank you. Okay. 4B, here citizens present. If anybody would like to come and um, have anything to say, come on up. Sherry Corrington. Sherry Corrington. Citizen. Um, I wanted to speak about a loophole in commercial ground transportation um, protocols when it comes to rental cars. And I feel so passionate about this. I wrote nine pages. I did not email this to you because I love you all. And I know this is intense, but that's my process. I'm a storyteller. So um, the scariest moments that I have seen on the road up the Klondike Highway are with rental cars. And it is the Wild West up there in a way you cannot imagine. Um, there's no RCMP uh, visibility whatsoever. I think I believe I saw the RCMP on the road five times last summer. I saw conservation officers on the road twice. And I am out on the road almost every day for six to 10 hours um, with days off, of course. But uh, I'm out a lot. I see bad driving behavior and bad um, wildlife encounter behaviors from feeding animals. Um, the driving aspect is, you know, people stopped in the middle of the road on a blind corner, getting out to approach wildlife, stopping to take pictures, not pulling off on the side of the road. You know, as commercial ground operators, we train our employees if we have them. We um, follow tourism best management practices, but there's not really a lot um, outs of structured rules. Um, it's up to each business to come up with things like this. But I have seen the scariest that I've seen blind corners and field trucks coming out with people standing on the road. And there are because there's no oversight, there's absolutely no cell service up there. So we can't make calls unless we are just past Bove Island towards Carcross. Um, we have to uh, kind of police ourselves. So tour operators and tour drivers become kind of de facto uh, officers out on the road for safety. And we intervene when we see uh, rental cars, RVs, other tour operators, independent drivers. But there are times where there is no way we're going to stop and intervene because it would make it unsafe. So I can give you the list of the unsafe practices, you know, from driving too fast, driving too slow, creating huge lineups going up a foggy day. And this comes with the territory when you like are dealing with rental cars. However, um, I 
all tour vehicles and operators have to abide by commercial ground transportation rules. And I believe there's a loophole here because rental cars do not fall under this. But if you read um, if you read read city code, this is basically these are commercial vehicles where people are making money and paying taxes to our municipality. It needs to fall under the same scrutiny as tour vehicles. You know, if we don't have a mechanic in Skagway and there's, there's really no way to hold the rental cars up to a certain standard. You know, you have some companies like Nicole's that have newer vehicles and you, know, you can kind of count on that. But after a season, when brakes are running out because, you know, people are riding their brakes down the road, um, there's just no oversight there. So I would like to see rental cars fall under the same umbrella as tour vehicles and other commercial vehicles. Um, the, the safety X aspect of um, mechanic mechanical issues is one thing, but also identifying factors on the vehicles. I would like to see, um, you know, part of commercial ground transportation, we have to identify the outs, our commercial vehicles with signage that is approved by the municipality. So my proposal is to, for the municipality to come up with decals when the rental cars are registered, just like the commercial ground transportation, but it, instead of just one single little identifying sticker, I would like to see two big bright ones, one for the front window, one for the rear, so everyone on the road can identify these vehicles from afar and be really proactive with driving. I'd like to see signage on the sides as well for the same reason, four-sided signage. These are scary vehicles, and it would be really nice to have a heads up. So the two signs on the front and back, that's municipal, but the signage on the sides, I'd say no smaller than eight by 10. And, you know, a font for the phone number that's easy to read from a distance. Um, there are no signs on Avis vehicles, no signage on um, the electric cars. There is signage on uh, affordable card renter rentals on the sides, and they're very large magnetic signs. Um, affordable car uh, drive around car rental only has small, fine font uh, decals that are clear, and they're on various parts of the back of the vehicle. So you have to be standing right up next to them, or like right there, in order to to see that. Um, I would like to see the municipality um, create some sort of standard for education of driving and bear safety for the rental car companies. And so 
I've got three different ideas about this, and it's all about redundancy in order to establish that this information was presented. Uh, there are two companies that will drop vehicles down at the dock and or around town. They have no FaceTime with their clients, so they can't educate them. I've been at Nicole's place when she has given the safety talk to people, and it was excellent. Um, but I've also seen the line at Avis, and they are backed up. There is no way, and I'm I'm taking a leap here. There's no way they're educating their their customers about bear safety, pulling off the road, driving safety, all of that. So if they're with every rental car contract, there is you have to sign off on things. If there was something that they signed off on that was an educational form talking about bear and wildlife safety, driving safety and protocols, being aware of the fact that this is a freight highway with fuel trucks, with you know hazardous materials or trucks, um, other tour vehicles that are trying to keep up to a schedule, you know. Possibly, maybe they would be a little bit more aware of their surroundings. But instead, and you cannot blame them, they're looking at the beauty of nature. They're screwing around with their, their phones to take pictures. They're not paying attention from tailgating to everything else. But um, I'd like to see signage inside each tour vehicle, as well as a rat card with the same information. Um, I've got a lot more a lot more ideas and i will i will send this in a tightened up email to you with those further thoughts um but reading the code for i'm trying to find where i put it but reading the code i think there is a huge loophole that opens the municipality up for legal action in the event of an accident up, up there. And it's a matter of when, not if, based on what I've seen. Um, we have no idea how many rental cars are on the road at all because there is no oversight, there's no registration, period. So in 20... 23, there are 243 registered tour commercial vehicles in Skagway. 2022, there are 167. In 2019, there were over 400. And I got that information from Jamie in at, at some point in 2019. I was really curious. Um, I think it was 427, but I can't, it is over 400. Um, and when I asked uh, Jason, um, oh, Daniel, who is our DMV, if he had any idea how many uh, rental cars were on the road, he said, I have no idea. And we know for a fact that there was massive expansion with Avis and do-it-yourself car rentals. Um, in fact, so much that they were spilling into the streets. They took over two parking lot areas. And I can guarantee you there will be more next year. Um, we need to rein this in. It's, 
the amount of money that it would cost to do the due diligence of doing the mechanical inspection and all that will pay off in the end. It's peace of mind for the business owners. It will, you know, put one more hoop in. When we have to bring our vehicles up to Whitehorse, I'm telling you, it sucks. It without having a mechanic here to get those inspections, it sucks. And it's an added expense. It's time out of our lives, but it's for the safety of the people on the road and our passengers and the clients. Um, I have a list of different solutions, including the option. I what if the municipality found a mechanic? or offered the space, let's say the, the bay of the fire hall for an independent mechanic to come in to just do inspections for smaller businesses, just keeping it close. And then if there is further need for mechanical work, then you go up to Whitehorse, then you get it done, and then you come back and it's signed off on. So there, there are things that we can do, especially if this goes into effect. So, you know, Nicole's not driving 10 vehicles up to Whitehorse, and but that's what, you know, Frontier would bring everyone over to Haynes and then drive all the way around for their inspections. So we're we're all doing it. And I think given the terror on the road up there at times, like this is something worth looking at. So thank you. Thank you, Sherry. Uh, anybody else here, citizens present? Jonathan? Thank you, John Hillis. Um, so I was, I never know where to speak at these things, but anyway, um, I was thinking, talking about this item 7B, um, the e-bikes and scooters, and I really love seeing those around. Um, I think it is one of the most low impact and neat ways that you could come to Skagway and get around and see Skagway. Um, and so I've been kind of afraid because I know that they are, uh, exciting sometimes on Dai Road um, whenever they're distracted and driving around. Um, and so I've been trying to think of ways that we can protect them. Um, and I there was a trail committee last year that worked on some trails. Um, I think it was an ad hoc committee. And uh, there was a trail that was proposed in that. And I believe that... Um, Parks and Rec or whoever it is still has that and is working on it to some degree. Um, that there's a, a connection from like the back of the gun range, basically out to Dai. Um, that would be a fairly low, uh, low skill level trail that could be done. And the thought that I had is to make it a multi-use trail um, that was wide enough to accommodate some of this type of traffic. Um, it takes the load off of Dai Road. Um, it spares the poor little e-bike people from possibly being run over by tour vans or anything else or all the other traffic that goes up and down. It's much more, it would be much more scenic. 
Um, and it, it's just a, a really beautiful route that would help a lot. And there's a lot of funding for these type of projects, um, for connectivity, for um, just moving non-motorized or vulnerable traffic off of a heavy trafficked road. I've been looking into a lot of the, the grants and whatnot there, and there's a lot of funding for it. And so it's something that I would really like to see us dive into. I'd like to see us dive into a lot of trails, but that's not the point here. Um, I'd really like to see us dive into that trail idea um, because I'm afraid that there's going to be an accident on Dai Road and the reaction will be to go after the newcomer, which is the e-bikes and the scooters and whatnot, when really I'd like to see more of those coming around. So anyway, just a thought of providing a better transportation solution for those that they can continue to get around independently, view our beautiful valley, and also it's an awesome trail for us too. Thanks. Thank you, John. Uh, anybody else for here, citizens present? Nicole. Nicole Goodman, Klondike Electric Bikes. How are you guys doing? Um, I wasn't originally intending to talk this evening. Um, I just saw that there were some items on the agenda that related to my business and felt that I should be here. Um, but after listening to Sherry speak, um, one of the things that she talked about was the registration for the vehicles. And I, I was under the assumption that we do have that. I have to go into the police department. I file paperwork. I have to get a mechanical inspection on my cars, even though they're brand new. Um, and so I have done those things. So I'm not sure if some people just are not doing that, but that is a requirement that I was told when we set up the business that we needed to do that. So um, we have been going and, and doing this stuff on a yearly basis since we've had the cars. So um, I'm not 100% sure, Sherry, but <laughs> that's just something that I wanted to throw out there that we have done. Um, also, um, I have been in contact with some people up in Whitehorse about, right, I wrote a letter in support of um, some materials that they're trying to put together um, to talk about wildlife safety and bear safety so that we can have information that we can pass out to our, our guests when they come and get in the car. Um, or the bikes for that matter. Um, we spend at least 20 to 30 minutes with every single person that comes and rents a bike or a car from us. So um, I even tell them we live in a small town and I don't want to see that they do anything stupid because they're going to end up on our Facebook page and I don't want to see my cars on the Facebook page. So um, I, we spend a lot of time trying to educate them, but we do know that these people are on vacation and sometimes they just have vacation brain and they're going to do whatever the hell they want to do. Um, and it's, I think it's just important that we continue to work hard to educate them and make sure that they understand that, you know, this is a real town, a real place where people live and commute and um, that the animals are not at Disney World and they will eat them. So, <laughs> um, so I just, I'm here just to say that I want to help in any way possible to make sure that everyone stays safe. Um, I want everyone to have a good experience. Our whole goal for starting this business was to um, ensure that Skagway was one of the places that people enjoyed the most on their vacation here uh, to Alaska. And so I just want to do whatever I can um, and am willing and able to do that. So that's just what I want to say. Thanks, Nicole. And thank you for that. Um, all the color that you have on the skin. It's in your skin. It's helping me. Uh, anybody else for here, citizens? Wendy Anderson.
Wendy Anderson, Skagway resident. Um, I was very happy to see that you had bear attractant nuisance information on your agenda today. Um, now's the time that we need to start acting on things like that and coming up with plans. Um, one thing that I think that we could do that was, or two things actually, I think that we could do that would be um, some pretty easily to implement uh, and would help the issue. Um, when I was in Tacoma, um, I was taking care of my mom's property and the Tacoma Public Utilities website has some great resources on it. One of the things that they have is they have the garbage pickup schedule. Uh, when people come to town, uh, they're told, well, you can't put your garbage out, but well, when's my pickup? And where do they find that information? Uh, if we were just to put a simple, this is when your garbage is picked up. And I think we all go through it every holiday of like, well, where, do, where are they moving that pickup date to? Uh, if we just had a calendar on there that had those pickup dates, that would be one easy resource we could utilize. Uh, the other thing that they do down in Tacoma is twice a year, any resident who is paying um, for utilities um, gets one free house pickup a year. So if you're cleaning out your garage and you have a large amount of stuff, you can put it on the curb and you can say, hey, uh, I need a garbage pickup. They will say what day it is and they'll come and pick it up. And I think that towards the end of the season in particular, when people are leaving at times when it doesn't work well with the garbage pickup schedule, if they could have a way that they could call City Hall and just or call the utilities and say, hey, we need this pickup because we're not going to be here when it's time to put out our garbage. Everyone is leaving that would also help. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to comment on um, that's not on the agenda um, is Spring Street, safe, Spring Street safety. Uh, I know that we have had rather contentious conversations over the past um, about how we can improve safety on there. I don't want to talk about what we can do with the park service. I want to talk about what we can do as the municipality. And two things that we can do, um, one would be to create a no parking zone from the alley between 4th and 5th streets where that curve is um, to the curve. Uh, currently, when you are heading southbound and you're going around the curve, um, the hardware store has that big container, which they have every right to have it there, but it creates quite the visibility block and people will park right there. On that side of the street, there's no sidewalk. So if people are coming up that street, they are walking in the street often, and they are walking around that car. So we've been very fortunate that we haven't had any accidents because of that. Uh, the other thing we could do, um, there's oh, there's also, there is a fire hydrant on the other side of the street that people often are parked right in front of. So that right there should immediately be a no parking zone, uh, but there's nothing to indicate it. And oftentimes the grass has grown up around that fire hydrant. So, um, so those two things. And then the other thing would be putting a sidewalk in on that east side of Spring Street. We want to encourage people to park in that second and Spring Street parking lot, but the walkways from that parking lot to their businesses um, don't exist. So, of course, they're going to walk in the street. So if we were to put a, a sidewalk along that side, at least there would be an option. Um, and I realize there's a couple driveways and things that don't make it the smoothest transition, but it would create an option. So thank you. Thank you, Wendy. Anybody else for here, citizens present? All right. Moving on to... Um, Item 7B, e-bikes and scooters. This is something that's um, a citizen uh, reached out to uh, 
I believe the chief and myself and just wanted to had some concerns. Uh, the specific question the citizen had uh, was wanting to quantify the number of possible incidents that might be happening with the proliferation of e-bikes and scooters. So I thought I'd put it on the agenda um, just so we could have a discussion about it. I'm not looking for necessarily any action to come from it. Um, so I, Chief, would you mind uh, coming up and talking about um, maybe your perspective on this? Do Have you seen an increase in incidents regarding scooters and e-bikes? We've only had a very few. Uh, I think we had what one pretty serious accident last year. One of y'all went to that you that did that one the year before. Um, the only other incidents I think we've had uh, were out at the flats. But as far as we've not had any major concerns, it's the slower traffic that that we get the complaints on. So as far as we'll get calls on them being dangerous, but that's just because they're driving you know slow and being cautious because of the gravel road. Just to clarify, when you say slower traffic, you're talking about automobile traffic or the so bikes are slower okay. than the, the automobile traffic. Like was mentioned, you have the tour buses that tend to push the limit of what speed limit should be. We try to do a lot of traffic out there just to keep them slowed down. But when you have the slower moving e-bikes and the scooters, then it tends to get a little dicey out there when you got them going around the, the bikes. So remember Hanson, do you have a name? Thank you, chief. Thoughts on this? You shouldn't have a selfie stick ever while you're using a, a, an e-bike or a scooter. I see that frequently on the Dai road while people are driving. That is begging for an accident. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen that or I don't want to single out, but it seems like the crew often will try to take selfies in the middle of the road. Um, um, I've very nearly plowed over a bunch of people who are lined up like it's a parade right across the Dai Road on a blind curve taking selfies. So I, that's a comment of someone who drives a Dai Road a lot. Um, I drive pretty defensively. I can't speak to all the things that happen up the highway because I don't drive it daily like Sherry and other people do. But I would certainly say that the uh, amount of congestion on the Dai Road, which is, you know, probably the premier place for people in e-bikes and um, and scooters, um, you know, and, and I have to say, I have taken an e-bike uh, out to Dai and it was, it was fantastic. It was awesome. I agree, John. It, it was a great experience, but... Um, and I probably got up to 30 miles an hour coming down from Black Rakes, you know, um, which was pretty exhilarating. Um, but um, I, selfie stick thing, I, I cannot stress how sketchy and dangerous that is to be doing that while you're moving. I just can't even. Their mother should reprimand them. I don't know. Um. I wonder if we could, uh, if we can't find um, uniformed police officers, if we should start hiring more mothers to <laughs> as an alternative <laughs> policing. Just, you know, outside of the box thinking. 
I feel like it's safe to assume that e-bikes and scooters have to adhere to laws regarding bicycles. And I would think in that case, when I know what you're talking about, uh, I will also say I love the e-bikes. Um, I think if we could get more e-bikes, less cars, the world's heading in a better place. Except when it's minus 10. Um, I feel like it's probably safe to say that when you line up and block an entire road to take a photo, granted, it's going to be an incredible photo, that is not legal. And it kind of echoes back to, we just don't have a police staff large enough to be enforcing these kind of issues. Um, I love that. That trail idea is, that's incredible. We, we were talking about, Jonathan and I were talking about this yesterday. Um, that's something that attracts people from Haynes, people from Whitehorse to use something like that. I, I would encourage um, work on that to move forward. Um, so once again, I just added this to it and it, the agenda because a, a citizen um, had some concerns. So do you have anything else? I would just say that like the, I think the training aspect that I, I know uh, e-bikes do it. I remember with Skagway scooters had various places they did training and some of those were in the worst places like the curve on fifth street in spring. Um, and they later found an alley and that seemed to be a little better. At least you get, you know, someone who has a little bit of training about where the throttle is, for example, and where the brake is. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot of room for error there when you just kind of say, you know, here, sit on it and go. And, um, I would, I would say, I, I definitely remember the training on the, on the e-bike was good, you know, and I think that helped, um, just, you know, having some familiarity because, you know, the boost assist and the other gears and things are not typically normal. You just, you know, know how to ride a 10 speed bike. It's a little bit different, but, you know, similar. Uh, just the, you know, kind of like the education of don't go too far because you run out. It's a very heavy bike to pedal back. I remember George saying that and we didn't go too far because I didn't want to pedal a bike that weighs five, 10 times more than a normal bike. Um, back back to Skagway. Uh, but I would say, you know, I think that the training from the the vendors is something important. I know that that was happening, um, you know, in a parking lot on the Klondike Highway at times. And I think that at least it's off the road, it's off traffic. And I, I think the police department has, has helped encourage that so that you're not just kind of turning them loose. Um, this has been you know, an evolving industry since I can remember and some great experiences and some pretty dangerous ones too. I mean, I've heard of some people going off the road and being very hurt because um, they didn't really know how to operate it. Um, sure the police department would prefer not to deal with those kinds of response calls because it's really just inexperienced completely of, of being there or you're coming around the S-curves and your options are being run over or go off the edge. And that's better than, I guess, you, you, you make a split second reaction. But, um, you know, I don't know other than education and, you know, that 10 minute training trial run, but I think it's important 
and just to keep doing it. And, you know, I certainly heard years ago that we should have a cap and a number to limit. I see Ken looking at me with hard eyes because I think he might have been at that meeting years ago, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't know that it's there's actually more of them now than there used to be. It seems like there, maybe they're less. I, I can't say. Um, it's not being, you know, they're not doing the training run in the middle of Broadway across the street from the hardware store, so that's better. So, I don't know. I think I think that, you know, brief training period is pretty important, and having people training people is, is pretty critical. Just the, the bare bones of, you know, don't drive in the long, wrong lane and that kind of stuff. You're still adhering to what all the traffic safety things are that everyone else does if you say you were in a car. I, I agree. I think that's really maybe it, it starts with the training um, and before they get on, take off on their scooter or e-bike, they have a, at least the, the vendor has done all they can do to communicate laws, safety, um, but ultimately, humans are going to, you can't mandate intelligence and good behavior. Um, I, I don't know if it would be appropriate. I don't know. I mean, with just the two companies, as far as I know, that rent these kind of things, if the police do like a beginning of the season, just kind of appearance and you know, not that you need another thing on your plate, but just to just to say, hey, and, you know, to keep it safe, something like that. Um, okay, that seems to take care of that item. Uh, item 7C, bear attraction nuisance code. So this is another thing. I'm not really looking for any kind of motion. Um, I'm just getting the ball rolling, thinking about doing a... Some code changes, uh, mostly for two things. Um, it was surprising this year when I learned that the congregate housing, um, there are no mandates to have, say, a dumpster. You can have a housing unit that, in the specific case that I'm thinking about, housed six people with just two, you know, standard-sized Rubbermaid trash cans. So uh, I was looking to the committee for uh, some input on this. The and this is also coming from um, solid waste advisory committee meetings. Uh, we've all talked about the bear thing. We've talked about it. Public works. Just things that actions we can take so that we don't keep going through this bear talk every October. Um, and obviously. If, from a public safety standpoint, a lot of that has to do with stopping trash. So um, what I'm looking at is adding into um, ENCODE, for example, you know, residential general, you would have uh, under conditional uses that state that talk about uh, congregate, congregate housing um, to get accepted for that the um, Conditional use, an item in there would be also, um, you know, bear resistant, bear proof dumpster. 
Um, and the other thing that, and this comes from talking with uh, a fellow named Carl, who's the state biologist out of Juneau, the Haynes Code handles this really well. I, I just, in general, like the look of the organized nature of the Haynes Code. Um, so in their bear attraction nuisance section, um, and this is what I would like to add to our code, is um, basically if you're going to have a chicken coop, it either needs to be behind a fence, a wooden fence, or an electric fence. Haynes Code says, uh, under definitions, bear attraction nuisance means, um, in mostly uh, very similar to ours, uh, but Haynes includes bear attraction nuisance means livestock, excluding horses and cattle. And then it includes bear attraction nuisance does not mean uh, material livestock or an orchard completely enclosed with an electric fence. So I'm looking at uh, modeling pains, what they've done, basically by adding those two things. Um, requirement of a dumpster for congregate multifamily dwelling units. And if you got, if you have a chicken coop, once again, it's either in an enclosed wooden fence or enclosed with an electric fence, which by the way, the state offers $500, $250 grants, something like that. Yeah, half of the cost. Um, so we're looking for input. So you said the Haynes code, you have to have an electric fence around livestock. Is that correct? Yes, their code specifically says, um, Yep, completely enclosed with an electric fence. I recall the manager saying that would be a very good idea um, last fall. And in terms of uh, congregate housing, I completely agree. You should have a dumpster with a bear-proof bear container. It seems when we see the same apartments triplexes sometime in September or October. Yep. Yes, please. Come on up, Chief. So along with the bear proof, it needs to be secured properly because we've got a lot of bear proof cans that are turned upside down. The bear's still getting into them. So it needs to be secured and not just a bear proof can. At a public works meeting, we requested that staff come up with some sort of a diagram of how to properly uh, fasten a bear-proof dumpster because we certainly see that mama bear can flip it over and get that lid open and just roll it down the road and it's, you know, once it flips over, she's figured it out. And she'll be back. And she'll be back. So, you know, I think there was definitely a confusion frustration by some citizens who thought they were doing the right thing and got fines for it. Um, I said, well, if we're going to give fines and they have the bear proof containers and we tell them they're not doing it right way, 
we need to tell them what the right way is. Exactly. And and I think that's only fair. You know, if you're gonna you've invested in the bear proof lid, it's on a cement pad, you've tried to strap it down. If that's not working, then you know, we've got to come up with a better idea, direct have a direct uh, diagram of what is the right way to do it. And uh, Director Ames agreed that he would get that out. I, I do agree. Our our code could use a little more uh, clarification and get a little more specific. So um, we're probably thinking about the same person mm -hmm. who thinks that you have a dumpster with a, a metal clasping lid um, and yet the bear turns it over and then there's a hundred dollar fine. So um, that's something else I would like to look at. Just really clarifying that. Do you know where, um, what stage of the process Tyson is at and getting. He said he'd have it ready for, ready for the season. Um, you know, I think at the time we had that meeting, it was pretty close to freeze up and, you know, said he'd have it ready for the season was his timeline. So is, is that something that's mandated or those who choose not to equip their dumpster with really secure lines like that are just kind of accepting that they're opening themselves up to possible fines? Do you know? So if you don't, you're asking if you don't have a bear-proof dump lid, you would get a fine if the bear... No, I think you're, you're talking about you know, securing it down. Finding it, yeah, having, chaining it yeah. down. Having chains and having a, a hasp that you know you need opposable thumbs to operate. I'm chief. Am I more or less describing this correctly? Yeah, and that's one of the things that we don't go out wanting to write citations. If you have done what we think is adequate, you've tried. We're not going to give you a fine, but if you just have the dumpster and said, "Well, that was good enough because it said it was bear proof." You've not done everything that you possibly can, and then you know. In the code, it says you can't take the trash out until the morning of trash. Well, if you have a dumpster, how does that work? So that's something else that needs to be looked at in the code is if you have a dumpster full, you obviously didn't just fill that up at 5 o'clock in the morning. So there's there's other parts of that that kind of need to be cleaned up that makes it easier for us that we can say you did what you were, you tried and we still have the bear issue. I, I think you're right. I think uh, it would be helpful to everybody if that part of code is just made. It, it can be made a lot more clear what bear-proof, bear-resistant means. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. Thank you. Um, anything else under that? So I'll just, I'll keep working on writing something up to bring so, it back. So in your memo, Madam Chair, is this the language that you want a motion on, or you just want general support for it? No, I just wanted to bring it up for discussion, okay. a first discussion. I generally support it. Thank you. Assembly Member Hansen. Um, okay, that brings us to the final agenda item. Not even five o'clock yet. Happy Friday. Um, scheduling of next meeting. Um, I would like to just kind of go ahead and schedule a series of meetings, as I had mentioned earlier. Calendar photos. Okay. Kathy just emailed me the calendar. 
that's what February looks like. I'm thinking every four weeks, maybe every five weeks. Today is the 12th. I won't do it on a Friday. How do we feel about next meeting? Tuesday the 13th? 5.30? 5 o'clock is good. 5 o'clock? So next public safety meeting will be Tuesday the 13th at 5 o'clock. And then moving into March. It's not Ports and Harbor that night. That's the 6th. Okay. Um, and then how about... March 12th is my sister's 50th birthday, so I'm hoping not to be here. No offense, Chief. Um, March, we could shoot for... Uh, that's a tough one. Either Tuesday the 19th at 7 or Tuesday the 19th at 7. Let's do one more. April. Sixteenth at seven. That's also Ports and Harbor. Is that that makes for a long night for you? Um, how about we just start with February and March? It seems like good work right there. Um, okay. Um, if there is nothing else, except a motion to adjourn. It's adjourned. He's not on the phone. Oh, all right. Uh, meeting is adjourned. Thank you.